0: Writer Christian Nestel Bove once said that music is the fourth greatest material want. First food, then clothes, then shelter, and then music. My guest today has been making music since he was a kid and has the awards and an impressive resume that proves what a great musical artist he is. So let's meet him on an all new episode of Up Next. Hey everyone, it's John Contratti, and welcome to another episode of Up Next. My guest today is producer, composer, conductor, pianist. He sings, too. He was brought to national attention as the head composer, conductor of the band on the Rosie O'Donnell Show. Welcome to the show, John McDaniel. Thank you, John. How's it going? It's going good. Nice Nice to
1: see you. It's been a while.
0: It's been a while. Um, Every once in a while, I'll see you somewhere in the city, but it has been a while. Right. Let's start from the beginning.
1: Born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. That is correct. I love being from St. Louis. I had a fantastic upbringing and I sort of discovered who I was in St. Louis. Um, You know, I I discovered Broadway musicals and I I just knew that that was, you know, what I wanted to spend my life uh, doing and immersing myself in. What kind of kid were you in elementary school? Did you play an instrument in school? I played the violin and nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) But I'm glad I did because I write now for strings and woodwinds. And so I've had, you know, the experience of some of these instruments, um, which goes a long way when you're writing for them. Um, So I I was very musical, though. I was studying piano. My first piano teacher was my mom, Jane, who is still teaching via FaceTime. And it's kind of amazing. She's a great piano teacher. And uh, I'm not sure I realized how lucky I was to have her as a teacher at the time, because she was also my mom. So the piano teacher didn't realize that the student was cramming for the lesson the night before. But of course, my mother did because she was in the house. So it was uh, she wrote that line very beautifully. And I'm, I'm grateful for those times.
0: Did you take other lessons other than your mom?
1: Yeah, I did. Well, she finally, <clears throat> my mom is really purely classical Mozart, Bach, and Beethoven, and Debussy. Um, and so she realized that I sort of had an interest in Gershwin and other sort of pop music um, uh, composers. And so she got me with a teacher who uh, taught me ragtime, and I got more into jazz and um, more contemporary writers like Eric Satie. And so it was, it was. It was a good. It was a good move on her part. I'm glad I did. Her name is Elaine Boyd. She's no longer with us, but I think of her often. You know, these teachers that we have, as you know, as a teacher, these these folks have. They make profound uh, impacts on our lives, and it never goes away. We never forget these these lessons that we learn when we're when we're little sponges walking around on two feet. I mean, we are able to process so much information and. Uh, and I use it all the time. Did you perform in high school before going off to college? I did. I was always in plays and, <clears throat> and musicals. And when I was a senior in high school, I was Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof because I'm not Jewish. And um, and Scott Bakula had gone to my high school and also played Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof um, a few years before me. So um, we, we share that. Um, but, yeah, I love performing and I wanted to be on Broadway, standing down center, singing and dancing. I mean, that was my dream. And that's why I went to Carnegie Mellon to study acting. And it was a little bit closer to New York. It was like on the way to New York from St. Louis. and um, But I I had a transformative experience when I was at school. I know we're not at college. You're not asking me about college yet. But uh, when I was uh, at the end of my sophomore year at Carnegie Mellon, which I was studying, I was a music theater student, so I was studying acting, singing, and dancing. And the head of the department called me into his, his office and he said, you know, your acting is good and your singing is good, your dancing is good, but your music is like way up here. And so they they uh, he told me that they wanted to create a program for me for junior and senior year so that I would take more music, a little bit out of the drama department, across the hall in the music department, it was the best thing ever because I got to study orchestration and conducting, and it really put me on the path that I have followed to this day, which is being a part of the music end of theater and show business.
0: Throughout college and when college was over, did you head to New York or California right after that?
1: I went to California right away. Well, first, I spent six months working on a cruise ship in the Greek islands, which was transformative and magical and wonderful to be away. Um from the States. I mean, it just broadens your, you know, travel is just fantastic for broadening your scope and your, your perspective on things. So i um, really glad that I did that. And I met some folks and I fell in love with a gentleman from Los Angeles. And so we, I moved to LA to live with him and I stayed um, even after we were no longer together. I was really happy in LA. I loved it, met a lot of great people. Um, And I lived there for 10 years until I was invited to come to New York to do my first Broadway show. And I was packed like that. I was ready to go. Would that be Grease, the first show? Grease was my first Broadway show. Yeah, the first revival of Grease.
0: First revival of Grease. And that lasted about three years, that lasted, right? The revival was on for a while.
1: I think it ran for three and a half years on Broadway. It It was beginner's luck, I guess. But of course, I thought, oh, this is easy. Every show will run and... And it'll be a lovely you know, thing. Of course, they don't all run three and a half years. Um, so that was that was a lucky one. And, you know, I, of course, I met a lot of great people on that show.
0: Which led you to the Rosie O'Donnell show. So when did the Rosie O'Donnell show come up? It was like 1996,
1: 96. So Greece opened in 94. But I had known Rosie in L.A. in my L.A. days. We would wind up at parties sometimes and she'd be you know, I'd be playing piano and she would wind up singing and she knew all the words and I knew how to play them all. So we knew each other in that way, long before Greece. In fact, when Greece happened, Fran Weisler, the producer called me and said, I want you to have Rosie O'Donnell over to your house and have her sing for you. And you tell me if she can sing well enough to be in our production of Greece. I already had the job. And so, um, so Rosie came over to my house and she, I opened the door. She was rolling her eyes. And I was like, because she she knew that I knew what her voice was like. But she came in and we did a little warm up and then we sang. There are worse things I could do. Well, she sang. I played. And, you know, it was fine. Her voice is what it is. It's not the voice that's going to change the world, but it's not horrific. So um, but of course, I called the producer and I said, she's fantastic. And so I think it was it was that exchange that we, that really bonded us and made us friends for life
0: when the talk show came up and you did it, you're pretty much known, you know, around the Broadway community, but now you're on television every day. How does that change your life?
1: It changed like that. Just in terms of recognizability. um, I remember, you know, walking down the streets of New York before the show went on the air and thinking, this could really be a different walk when this happens. But, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't know. I mean, it could have falling apart in a week and and no one would have ever really known about me that way. But the show was huge hit right out of the box. I, I think the debut numbers were second only to Oprah's show, which had debuted like 20 years before. So it was a, it was a big, big, big deal. And all of a sudden, John, I'm walking down, you know, 48th street and people are like, that's the guy, that's the guy. For me. I mean, it was so overnight. It was just immediate. And it was sort of fun, certainly at first. And then it's like, oh God, this I'm this is happening. I'm I'm not gonna be able to just walk through an airport uh anymore. And um unfortunately now, all these years later, that's really settled down. It's very rare that somebody, you know, stops me or says, I hate to bother you, but um so but I'm I'm grateful for it all. I wouldn't trade any of it. Were you sad when it ended? Well, I mean, we were so used to that routine. I was. I mean, we had we we had always known it was going to be a finite number of years, maybe six and a half. Maybe well, actually, maybe seven was what I think we thought, and it wound up being six and a half, which brought us in just at the end of that um, that season because we started before the proper season. Anyway, um, I was a little sad. I was sad because we had had such a rhythm and it was uh the schedule was so dependable um and because we were live it was so uh there was the show would happen no matter what and so it all of a sudden when that's over um it 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 was it was i mean i think bittersweet i guess would be a really good way to describe it um although i wasn't bitter at all i was super happy that we had done it i remember the wrap party was just lots of hugs and some tears and and a lot of laughter i mean that crew we had the best time and i'm still in touch with so many of them um which is super fun and you
0: won two emmys for it I mean, nominated six times and won two
1: i did i won two um and i was nominated i think five other times i think right. i think that's right when they had musical
0: guests on, you rehearsed earlier in that morning or the day before? How did that work sometimes?
1: Um, so we were the band rehearsed at 7.25 in the morning every day. <clears throat> so I would have 10, I, well, I had up to 15 minutes to 7.40 with the band dedicated, but we usually just took a few minutes just to sort of go over what was going to happen that day, rehearse any new music that was going to happen. And we would pre, if we had Barry Mallow on the show, we would preview his chart and he would arrive after the eight o'clock hour, and then we'd, we'd get into camera blocking and music rehearsal with him. But if we didn't have a musical guest, then we had a lot of time before the show to have breakfast, hang out. But before you know it, it was time to get into wardrobe and well, makeup and then wardrobe and then do the, the audience warm up. And then it's 10 o'clock. It was it was like a <clears throat> like a Swiss watch. It was run really well. So while you're doing that
0: in 1999 you become the musical director for Annie Get Your Gun.
1: Yes, one of my favorite shows. That was incredible. I had been in Annie Get Your Gun in high school so I knew the show really well and when I was invited to recreate the music, well not recreate, reimagine the music for this new production of Annie Get Your Gun. Um I was you know just so delighted and the Bernadette Peters being the star was the icing on the cake because I've been a fan of hers. I saw her in 1974 at the St. Louis Muni in Mac and Mabel before they went to Broadway. And I had been she'd been on my radar forever. So it was it was thrilling. And that show did really well, too. We ran a couple of years and you probably know Reba McIntyre took over for Bernadette and right. was sensational. It's not often that a replacement is as good as, but different than the star. Sometimes people come in and you're like, "Oh, she's all right," but I really miss Patty Lapone, you know, or whatever. Um, but it was it was a delightful experience and a hard one because I was doing the the, the talk show in the morning and rehearsing the Broadway show. Um, I would leave the talk show, we eleven o'clock, boom, we're done, change, run, get to rehearsal, and spend the rest of the day rehearsing. And then we did pre-Broadway at the Kennedy Center in Washington. So I would in those weeks, I would flee to LaGuardia as quickly as I could, hop on a shuttle, land, jump over to the Kennedy Center, rehearse in the afternoon, sometimes stay and watch act one, maybe act two, take a late plane back, wake up early. I mean, it was it was hard, but you know, I was in my 30s and it was it was uh it's a good time. It was a great, great, great time. Yeah.
0: And you won a Grammy Award.
1: I did I produced album. the cast. So we when we were in Washington, DC, Barry Weisler, the producer, said, you know, I think I think you should be one of the you should produce actually the uh cast recording of Anna Get Your Gun. And I had never done that before. Um, I'd been a part of a lot of recordings, but I hadn't produced myself. But he gave me that opportunity, and I'm forever grateful for that. And um Worked with my collaborator, Steve, and we, uh, yeah, we won a Grammy. It was my first and only nomination, and we won. Um, It's a beautiful recording. I'm so proud of it. We worked our butts off to make it the best it could be, and that was a terrific um, acknowledgement of that. Emmy, Grammy, two more to go. I know. I'm ready. Well, my shows have won Tony Awards. Annie, Get Your Gun won the Tony for Best Revival, but... As the music supervisor, I don't get to take a tangible Tony home for my mantle. So, um, yeah, that would be nice. I'm I'm open to all of it. <laughs> Susan Lucci was Annie also, wasn't she? Yes, yeah, she was. She was adorable. So
0: while you're working, Rosie comes to an end, and then you focused more on theater, but you also worked with individual. You collaborated with a lot of people one-on-one. Who some of those people and some of your favorite people to work with one-on-one?
1: Oh, man. Tyne Daly comes to mind. She's a great, great uh, person. I think that's that's why we really enjoyed one another for such a long time. We loved getting together and kibitzing and catching up and then rehearsing and, and traveling together and touring. And we did shows in LA and St. Louis and... Um, up in the Berkshires, we, we were sort of all over the place and it was a lot of fun and a lot of New York as well, of course. Um, she was great, but I'm also I'm always sort of developing new musical projects. And um, sometimes like Brooklyn, they get to Broadway, Bonnie and Clyde, Catch Me If You Can. Um, uh, so I've I've been actively doing Broadway shows ever since, um, although it's been a few years, but I moved to Florida. Um Uh, just before the pandemic in 2019. And I love it here. And but I'm still, you know, going to New York all the time, uh, working on new things. I've been developing a musical version of Brave New World, which is based on the Aldous Huxley book from 1937. And we did a world premiere in 2016. And we've been changing a lot, making a lot of fixes and updates. We have a new director, and this past May, we did a two-week lab in New York City, and it went really well, paving the way for the next lab, which is going to be a three-week project that will involve some movement, and that's going to happen in March. Um, We have producers and funding to do the show in New York, and we're, you know, I'm saying that cautiously, optimistically, um, enthusiastically, though, and so we'll see how that how that lands, but I'm the composer of that, which is thrilling to write the music for a show that hopefully is headed to New York.
0: You mentioned Bonnie and Clyde. I was a big fan of Bonnie and Clyde, but the critics were just not nice to it. Were you surprised by that?
1: A little bit because we had done two out of towns in La Jolla and in Sarasota, and they were both well received and audiences were digging the show. And I think it's Frank's best score. Um, It we opened early December and the producers didn't really have enough money to run the show through the difficult months of January and February. They hoped that we would get bombastic reviews that we could plaster all over the theater. And we didn't. They were they were they were guarded and they were not really. Listen, it's hard to write a show about a criminal and to get people to feel. You know, because it's it's just difficult. And we had the sort of the same issue with catch me if you can. He's a he was a kid who, you know, broke all the rules and the cops are chasing him. And it's hard to get, you know, can't have, no, there's no empathy for those characters. Yeah, you have to find empathy. Right. And I always feel like when you watch a musical, you want to find out who you're rooting for. Who do you want to follow? Who are you who are you behind, you know? So that that show had that problem, but now all these years later, Bonnie and Clyde's being d- done in London, as you know. I see you nodding, um, and it was a huge hit at the Arts Theatre in the West End earlier this year, and it's moving now to a bigger theater, the Garrick Theatre, where it's going to open in Not. Uh, where I think, excuse me.
0: Ever think they would revive it again here? I mean, they did that with Sideshow Sideshow in 1997. Yeah, that was a favorite show of mine. Closed. Same. And they. Re- and they revived it in 2014 but then it closed you know, yeah right after that, i mean
1: i think now that it's a hit in london with this new production maybe it could be done again on broadway um they might try to bring it to canada first and see how that does and then maybe to new york i don't know but they're using my orchestrations which makes me very happy and um, we call that in the business mailbox money um so you go to the mailbox and, oh, look, Bonnie and Clyde. How nice. Um, It's, of course, not all about the money at all, um, but I'm thrilled it's being done and well-received. And it may have a tour in the UK as well. And I think they've recorded a cast recording that'll come out. So that's
0: nice. Nice to see it having a life. Speaking of life, you were working on It's a Wonderful Life with Kathy Lee Gifford. Yeah, years
1: ago. Yeah, we wrote really sweet show and we the, the it's a tricky thing with the the rights for that we were not we were not successful in getting the rights to the original book, which I think is called the greatest gift upon which it's a wonderful life is based. The movie is not copyrighted, but the book is and um I, I think there's been you know I think Joe Raposo did a musical version of it that's still done. there's a radio version I think um the rights holder was well i think she made a terrible decision first of all but um there's nothing we can do about it and so it's it's a little bit unless we're able to you know petition and try to get the rights again i think we're i think we're stepping away we're proud of what we wrote um and we're talking about writing some other stuff together i hope that'll happen
0: you have plenty of cd's out there with your music two of my favorite ones is that you did with barb younger oh yeah those are two of my favorites, the one that you did come together about music of the Beatles yes. and the music of Sting. How did you meet her? Because she's England, right? Yeah, she, she, lives in,
1: she is English. She lived in London for many years. Now she lives in the south of London. Um, I mean, south of England, down by Brighton. Um, we, I'd heard about her for years and years, and I had just, ne- our paths had just always, we never quite, I never got to see her. I never, our paths didn't cross. And a friend invited me to come see her show at the Metropolitan Room. And I thought, you know what? I've never seen her. We, we should go. So I took um my friend Ben Pat Ben Pasek, who's half of Pasek and Paul, um, and I said, let's just go. We're we're invited, let's, let's go. It'll be a fun night out. And Barb came on the stage, and I my eyes got really wide and my job is like on the floor. I was like, who is this creature? She's so unique, so unusual, so talented, so musical, and so funny. And she she had the audience right in the palm of her hand. So I was completely blown away. And I went up to her um, in, in the lobby. She was selling CDs at the end of the show. Have I told you this before? Do you know this story? No, so I, I do not. I walked up to um, to her, and she's selling her CDs. And I said, okay, listen. I have to know you. We have to be friends and I have, we have to work together. And she was, she called security because it was like, you know, I'm this weird, strange New York man coming up to her, but quickly she was, uh, we were laughing and um, we became social media buddies. Uh, and then I was, then I got the job doing the uh, O'Neill Cabaret and performance conference Um which my first year was 2013. So that's about when we met. And I invited her to be a part of my first season. She was the first entertainer that I presented my very first season. And she killed. And it was so wonderful to have her there. I invited her year two to come and stay for the whole conference and be one of the instructors. And so then we began to work together and do, arra- I would do arrangements for her. And we started singing together and we realized we enjoyed that. So um, it's kind of developed into a lovely, lovely life relationship. She's tremendous. I love her very much. And we have such a good time working together, bouncing ideas off of one another. And so we're going to be doing, we've all through the pandemic, we've been, you know, talking to each other on zoom and, and unable to really perform together, but We have booked two nights in London in April, at the end of April, um, where we're going to do the best of Beatles and Sting and more, maybe, because we also did a show about 1968 at uh, Joe's Pub, which was really a lot of fun. So we may interpolate some of that. I don't think we know yet, but we're going to put together um, an evening revisiting a lot of of our favorite songs that we've done together. So I'm really excited about that. Probably do a new CD. I don't know. I don't know. Down the line. You never know. It's just live for the moment, but we may bring it to New York too. We'll see.
0: Holidays are upon us. What are some of your favorite holiday songs? You sit around the piano
1: and play and sing. Oh gosh. I always love have yourself a merry little Christmas because it just makes, it just makes everyone feel great. It's so uh, evocative of, you know, our time growing up and, and the specter of Judy Garland doesn't hurt 2023 right around the
0: corner. Yeah. If you could, if you could have one wish to work with someone you've never worked before, who would that be?
1: It's that's such a good question and it's such a hard one. Um I can tell you that it is that it I I am going to be working with somebody in the spring who I have not worked with before and okay. Um i'm I am doing this incredible I've been offered this incredible television gig, and the spring I'm going to music direct Carol Burnett's ninetieth birthday party on NBC. It's great. and um, so you know, how can Carol be ninety? It's just so weird. She's so with it and so on it. and um mm-hmm. you know, we've been friends for a long, long time. and so, um the stars are coming out to celebrate Carol and we're have it's we'll have a I'll have an orchestra and we're gonna do some incredible performances um and the person I was referring to oh gosh I think I can I'm not sure I'm able to say it though so her name her last name uh no I'm just not, I was gonna play all whole,
0: um, this a can it rhyme make a rhyming words. yeah
1: um her. So her first name is Katie and her last name rhymes with Terry, which is incredible. That um, that tough. Yeah, exactly. Don't tell anybody. I Um, will not tell anybody. Yeah, so she's going to be on the show and I'm really excited about that. My last
0: year of teaching school during the 2020-21 school year, high of the pandemic, my cell phone rings and it says private caller and I won't pick it up. I mean, usually... The only private caller is my mom but usually she'll call it, you know on the home phone uh-huh. i'm like uh what am i gonna i answered it and said john i'm like who's calling so i'll never say yeah I said, who's calling yeah this, this is carol burnett oh so, so carol burnett called um me a year and a half ago and uh That's my stu- and my students interviewed her it was just the greatest thing
1: so. what a wonderful thing
0: yeah. That's so I uh, okay. have to thank uh Lucy Arnaz for that. She uh put us together.
1: So that's oh, so glad. That's wonderful.
0: Yeah. So um, John, an absolute pleasure. Where can people follow you so they know where you're gonna be so they can come see you? What's all your, your social media stuff?
1: Good. So I'm sort of best on Instagram, John McD123. <clears throat> and uh and I don't know about Twitter. I don't know what's going on with Twitter. I I'm I'm rarely there and um but John McDaniel there. And then on Facebook, my music page is John McDaniel. And I I'm pretty good about posting things that I'm doing there. My website, johnmcdaniel.com is um, very nice and pretty to look at, but I don't update it. And so I, I just don't have time. Um, and, or I don't really make time, I guess I should say when I have downtime, you'll find me in the swimming pool or at the beach or, at the food store we're we're about to get slammed with a big storm we just got a hurricane watch for my area this nicole is coming across the bahamas so <clears throat> send us a good a good prayer for wednesday thursday the wednesday thursday that we don't get too much stock up the refrigerator awfulness yes i'm gonna do that
0: john an absolute pleasure seeing you good to see
1: you too john best
0: of luck in twenty twenty three. Everybody follow John McDaniel. He's a great guy. And uh thanks for listening everybody. I'm John Contratti, and this has been another episode of Up Next. Thanks, John.